0: Welcome to the Venture Fidelis podcast, where we seek to inject faithful and informed Catholic teaching into the fields of business, economics, and public policy. I am your host today, T.J. Nielsen, and I am the Executive Director of the Center for Evangelical Catholicism. Today's topic is the seven principles of Catholic business. This podcast is brought to you by Venture Fidelis. An initiative of the Center for Evangelical Catholicism. Venture Fidelis exists to provide American business entities the opportunity to possess and exhibit a clearly defined, explicitly stated, and legally expressed Catholic identity. For more information, visit www.venturefidelis.com. Good morning, and thank you for joining us today for the launch of the Venture Fidelis podcast. Now, the purpose of this podcast is to zero in on specific issues or problems facing Catholics in the public forum, and to discuss these problems in the light of Catholic teaching. As a podcast of Venture Fidelis, these issues will most commonly deal with issues pertaining to business, public policy, or political debates, but we'll have to wait and see how far afield they wander. Sometimes we will draw upon the larger tradition to answer larger questions, and sometimes we will spotlight more specific debates and zero in on books or thinkers that can provide Catholics insight into these questions. The book of Genesis tells us that our first parents were commanded by God to fill the earth and subdue it, and that they were placed in the garden of this world to cultivate and care for it. All of man's creative activity is, is thus seen as part of our human dignity and vocation to be co-creators with God. And this means that every form of human labor and enterprise has great dignity and noble purpose. Thinking about the economic dimension of the universal vocation to holiness is one goal of what we call Catholic social teaching. This body of teaching has come to us as the result of centuries of reflection by some of the church's finest minds on the dignity of work the relationship between capital and labor, the responsibility to care for the poor, the universal destination of goods, and the principles that should guide practical decision-making on all of these fronts. It gives us the first principles upon which to build a vibrant Catholic culture that participates in the public spheres of business and politics. Keeping this in mind today, we are going to take a step back to start looking at the seven big principles for Catholic business. Eventually, we'll highlight each of these topics in their own podcast, but by doing a shorter introduction of them all together, we can lay foundation of common ground that we can build upon later in further discussion. The first principle that we're going to start with, a lot of people know a lot about, because it often gets a fair amount of discussion in Catholic literature. This is the principle of the inherent God-given dignity of all human persons and the sanctity of life. Good business and governments need to operate in a manner that treats each human justly, as created in the image of God, and whose ultimate purpose is heavenly beatitude. In other words, there is such a thing as human nature. That nature was given to all of us as part of God's gift of creation. Since this nature exists as an objective truth, we can judge businesses or governments according to how well they respect this nature and their employees, Citizens, or customers. As Vatican II says, the human person is and ought to be the principle, the subject, and the end of all social institutions. So that's the first principle, the inherent dignity of every human being. Now, the second principle is the dignity of work. Catholic teaching describes three reasons human work bears an inherent dignity, not simply as a means, but as a created good. First, by exercising their talents both individually and in community, human beings participate in God's continual and sustaining act of creation. Think of the role of the gardener or the parent plays in participating, helping develop God's gift of creation. Just as Adam participated in creation, both rationally by naming the animals and materially by cultivating the garden. The second reason that work bears a dignity Is that it provides for our material needs this is not just a necessity but a duty since we have a responsibility to care for the gift of life that the creator has given each of us meanwhile parents and other family providers have a duty to support children and others who cannot support themselves as a portion of their earthly vocation as such work has a special dignity as the material means by which they are able to meet this god-given duty the third reason for the dignity of work comes from the fact that by exercising this duty, humans develop habits and virtues. In other words, work has a dignity because it becomes a means by which humans, through God's grace, grow in holiness. These three goods of work its creative, duty based, and virtue building aspects all mean that it needs to be treated as more than a means to an end. It is a good that all human beings need to participate in as a fundamental aspect of human flourishing. So that's the second principle, the dignity of work. Now the third principle of Catholic social life is support for the family. Catholic teaching is social in nature. As such, it often speaks of the family rather than the individual or the state as the key cell or core building block of society. As the Catechism of the Catholic Church states, Authority, stability, and a life of relationships within the family constitute the foundations for freedom, security, and fraternity within society. The family, therefore, as an institution, is prior to any recognition by public authority, which has an obligation to recognize it. When speaking of just wages or working conditions, businesses have a duty to distinguish between jobs for family providers parents, etc., and dependents, and a just wage for a career job, differs from that of a high school summer job. In Catholic social teaching, rights and duties work together, therefore the parent with a duty to feed a child has a right to do so. So that's the third principle, the necessity to support the family. Principle four is what Catholic social teaching calls the principle of subsidiarity. On the most basic level, subsidiarity is not a moral obligation, like the obligation to love. Rather, it is an organizing principle for the way Catholicism understands the political order. It states that societal matters ought to be handled by the smallest, most local, or least centralized competent authority, starting with the family as the building block and radiating outward. Only when the family cannot deal with an issue does it move down the ladder of authority to the neighborhood, local government, etc., and devolving into a national or international issue as a last resort. Subsidiarity as a body of church teaching has many implications for businesses. Subsidiarity recognizes the importance of small businesses and self governance as practices that strengthen the capacity of society for dealing with issues on a more local level. The small business ownership or entrepreneurship ideally develop both an increased neighborhood awareness and a responsibility that strengthens society's ability to deal with issues on a more local level. So that's the fourth principle, that of subsidiarity, which we'll actually get to in greater detail in our next podcast. Principle five is the principle of common use and private property. We could also refer to this as the stewardship or authentic environmentalism. As the Catechism says, in the beginning God entrusted the earth and its resources to the common stewardship of mankind to take care of them, master them by labor, and enjoy their fruits. This universal destination of goods means that the goods of creation exist for the flourishing of the human race as a whole. It does not, as the socialist and communist thinkers would have it, oppose the concept of private property, but rather private ownership is the normal means by which this principle of common use is realized. As the Catechism states, private property is legitimate for guaranteeing the freedom and dignity of persons and for helping each of them to meet his basic needs and the needs of those in his charge. Private property contributes to one's personal self-betterment by encouraging people to work, to learn self-reliance, to be entrepreneurial, and to create material goods for themselves and others. It provides incentives for one to contribute to the society around them, as well as the means by which one can practice charity. Furthermore, private property historically has provided one of the surest means for protecting one's individual conscience." Now just because something like private property is good, however, does not mean that it cannot become a sin when pursued as an end, rather than as a means. So that's the fifth principle, that of common use or private property, sometimes referred to as a principle of stewardship or authentic environmentalism. And that's something that we'll get into in later podcasts about how true environmentalism is nothing more than that of stewardship, as opposed to the modern anti-human understanding. And this brings us to principle six, that greed and materialism are sins. First of all, it's important to remember that greed is not synonymous with profit. A successful entrepreneur can be motivated by things other than base avarice, which is the unreasonable desire for what we do not have and do not need, and the determination to obtain it without regard to others. But just because work, private property, and even profit are actually goods essential to human flourishing does not mean that greed and materialism are not evils to be avoided. Ultimately, every Christian has a duty to help the poorest, neediest, and most broken among us, but this cannot devolve into mere materialism. It is important for business leaders to be able to distinguish between the fact that profits are a good, as market signals, for example, but only as a means, not as an end. A worldview based in materialism or greed that sees prosperity as equivalent to human flourishing, rather than just a tool, fails to account for the importance of God in the lives of all persons. As Pope Benedict XVI reminds us in his book Jesus of Nazareth, at the heart of all temptations, as we see here, is the act of pushing God aside, refusing to acknowledge the reality of anything beyond the political and material, while setting God aside as an illusion that is the temptation that threatens us, in many varied forms. As Pope Benedict goes on to explain in this passage, true charity means not just giving people handouts, and not simply creating jobs either, but addressing them as persons in the image of God, as both physical and spiritual in their needs and longings. The problem with many secular approaches to charity is that they are based upon a materialist and reductionist view of man, and as such seek reduce the gospel to that of a purely social gospel so that's the sixth principle that greed and materialism are sins and that all charity must start with the gospel the seventh and final principle is the need for social charity that leads to charitable giving we are called to minister to each other's needs both material and spiritual starting with the poorest among us but we need to do so with prudence this is why on the practical level Charitable giving is the concluding principle. Only once these first principles are established, does charity have the necessary context within the church. Charity, solidarity, neighborhood, and friendship are all duties, both for individuals and for the church. Human beings need to give of themselves, both of their time and of their resources, but they need to do so in a way that harmonizes with the earlier principles cash payments to meet physical needs, for example, may be given in such a way as to diminish the family structure, to perpetuate addictions or vices, or might treat the receiver materialistically or lacking in dignity. When, by contrast, business is exercised or charity given in concert with these fundamental principles, charitable giving provides an important, even essential part of human flourishing. So that's the seventh principle, the need for charity. Okay, so in summary, we have our seven principles of Catholic business. Number one, the sanctity of life and the dignity of the human person. Two, the dignity of work. Three, support for the family as the building block of society. Four, the principle of subsidiarity. Five, the role of private property. Six, the need to get past materialism and the sin of greed. And seven, the good of solidarity, social love, and charitable giving. Hopefully, we see how these seven principles build on each other. The human person has a dignity rooted in the fact that we are created in the image of God. As such, there is a dignity to human labor. Within society, the family is the first protector of this dignity. Subsidiarity is the principle of social ordering that best protects the family and the human person. This fundamental structure allows society to consider the needs of people as complex and dignified creatures of a loving creator not as mere animals. And once this complex and beautiful vision of the human person is established within society, it becomes clear that human beings need to give of themselves and the fruits of their labor charitably in a manner that best helps human beings. Now that's all the time that we have allocated for this topic. Next time we'll be looking at the principle of subsidiarity in more details and what it means for small businesses and regulation. Okay, normally on this podcast, I'm going to give you a book review at this point, but we covered a lot of material today, and I'm going to keep it very short and recommend the first social encyclical entitled Rerum Navarum, written in 1891. This is a great place to start when examining Catholic social teaching, and many of the ideas I have mentioned, and many more that I will mention in future weeks, have their roots in this encyclical. In future, we'll take a closer look at this encyclical, especially with respect to how it treats private property and socialism. Now, the final feature of this podcast will be answering questions about Catholic social and economic teaching. Obviously, we do not have any yet, but if you have any questions about the Catholic Church's view of politics, social issues, business, or economics, please email them to cec at evangelicalcatholicism.com. That is cec at evangelicalcatholicism.com. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please remember to leave a review on iTunes or SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcasts. Good reviews help us promote this content and the Church's teachings in these forums. If you hated this podcast, please forget I said anything. Venture Fidelis is an initiative of the Center for Evangelical Catholicism that exists to provide American business entities the opportunity to possess and exhibit a clearly defined, explicitly stated, and legally expressed Catholic identity. For more information, please visit www.venturefidelis.com. And to avoid confusion in future weeks, we'll actually have two different hosts of this podcast, me, myself, as well as occasionally my brother, Philip Nielsen. So TJ Nielsen or Philip Nielsen, just to confuse you, we even have very similar voices. Thank you.